Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. In this podcast, we explore the ever-fascinating connections between brain, body, health, and happiness. For this episode, we're going to be talking with John Bale, a product manager for Thought Technology, one of the major developers and producers of biofeedback equipment and software. Thought Technology is a sponsor of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Their products are used by mental health professionals, physical and occupational therapists, chiropractors, coaches, and anybody wanting to improve health and performance. John has worked with Thought Technology for the past seven years, and before that he was developing software for their equipment as a co-manager at the Biofeedback Federation of Europe. If you use Thought Technology equipment, you've probably met him, maybe at one of his webinars or at a conference or in a support role. We thought it would be interesting and, and fun even to talk with him about his experiences working as the bridge between the equipment manufacturers and us end users. So John, I want to welcome you to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. And, you know, our, our guests are usually clinicians, so it's actually nice to talk with somebody who has a different perspective on the work that we do. And you're, you're a product manager for Thought Technology. Most of us know what that company is. Many of us use the equipment, of course. But how would you describe Thought Technology in a sentence or two? Uh, well, first off, just thank you for having me. Like, I'm excited to be here. Um, and Thought Technology, we are, well, a medical manufacturer. And we specialize in biofeedback products aimed at clinicians. So if you're a therapist, psychologist, MD, or everything in between, and you want to be able to use some type of biofeedback type application or tool with your clients, uh, we are the individuals who hopefully uh, can work with you to provide you that tool. It depends on whether it's looking at breathing or heart rate, or whether it's looking at maybe muscles and rehab, or if it comes to neurofeedback. There's a lot of different things and a lot of different fields that we're in. And so that's the simplest way I can describe that. But I realize because we have our hands in so many different pots, it, <laughs> it can get complicated. What does a product manager do? So what do you do for Thought Technology, actually for us, ultimately, for those of us who use the equipment? So classically, we're kind of the in-between the clinician and the engineers. So we're like an engineer-led company, or Hal, Hal Myers, when he started it uh, almost 50 years at this point. He was purely an engineer. He doesn't have a clinical background. And so it was tough for him to understand what the average therapist clinician wants to do with our client like hey i'd like to be able to measure this thing i want to get an idea of how they're feeling and so although engineers are great at math and design they are sometimes terrible at understanding humans uh, <laughs> and so a product manager is an individual who meets with a lot of clinicians or hears their opinions or it shows and events and we learn how to best understand that and word it in a way so that an engineer will understand what we want to make that's going to end up helping the clinician um, that's like the, the, the basic of it, but uh, a lot of the time product manager is just like coming up with the ideas of what we want to design based on feedback from clinicians, but also we exist in kind of the regulatory framework. How do I get around regulatory? How do I understand and explain this to different country bodies, what we're trying to do and how it's classified. We're also individuals where hard questions go to. Uh, if a clinician really wants to know about specific details of some sort of neural feedback applications, how it's affecting the brain, the engineers often not really good at interpreting that for a clinician in words they'll understand and so it ends up coming towards us. So we're both helpful on the design side and letting everyone make sure they understand what's going on uh, from these different groups. Does that make sense? 
It, it does. You know, it's, it's sort of like as you were talking, I, I think you kind of keep the boundaries between us clinicians and the engineers because I, I think if clinicians and engineers come together, the universe ends or something like that. Well, it, it, um, I mean, it, it just oftentimes when they do come together, it's two different languages speaking to each other. And then the result is always a disappointment for both groups. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Although the two people who've run thought technology for so many years obviously created a, a good a, a partnership there. They've created quite a company. Well, they did because um, right in the beginning, like, when applied psychophysiology was just a twinkle in someone's eye, this is like the late 60s, early 70s, uh, they were the kind of the boots on the ground. Like Hal was uh, doing his PhD. He got into psychophysiology by accident. And so he was there at shows as uh, researchers and these new young bushy, uh, what, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed clinicians were entering the field and just seeing that, in fact, you can measure stuff going in people's bodies. So they were, although it was like a two, three, four-man show at the time, they were the actual, I guess, what you call the the product managers. Although as company grew, you needed more people to play these roles because there's just too many other things going on from the engineering side for them to be really hands-on and in the thick of things, as it were, in the beginning. And you've been in this this field for a long time at Thought Technology and before that at uh, the Biofeedback Federation of, of Europe. What's your origin story? How did you get interested in psychophysiology? Was it an accident for for you as well? How did how did you get here? It it was actually a pure accident. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I graduated from uh, McGill University in Montreal, and uh, right as you got out of grad school, you just want to get a job in your field in general. At least that's how I felt about it. I um, my studies were originally in kind of um, biology, conservation. Uh, population dynamics, things like that. I was super interested in kind of like large-scale conservation, like animals, uh, national provincial parks, stuff like that. But evidently, there's no way of getting money so I can have dinner at night from that. And uh, in that first, in the first few months of me looking for a job, I accidentally was chatting with a friend. They mentioned, oh yeah, I know this person whose dad uh, they're looking for someone who's good with computers. Hey John, you look nerdy. You're good with computers. Can you help them do that? It's in some sort of human science thing. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up meeting him, and he, they just needed support as a course assistant in some of their um, online biofeedback courses, and that's at the Biofeedback Federation of Europe. And so uh, I, I joined on that. It turns out I'm very good at describing to people how to plug in their microphones and how to mute themselves and use a keyboard. And so that accidentally launched me into this field of biofeedback where I was attending all these courses via these clinical experts um, and I had like their their ear as they were telling me what they thought about certain subjects which I did not understand at all yet and I was helping them along and eventually we'd start working more closely together when they wanted to change certain software applications and hey I figured out how to use these softwares because I'm in all your courses and so that's how I was kind of thrown in this field by accident. I, I'd say I'm, I'm incredibly lucky because over the years I realized there's people who pay or search very hard to get the attention of some of these clinical leaders and I without knowing who they were had it almost since the beginning <laughs> as a product developer you you know you describe some of the things that you do what what is the process of developing a biofeedback product like if, if somebody thought okay we need to measure this system that we're not measuring yet what, what's that process mm, so um it really comes down first, it's just having conversations with clinicians. And we want to see what they want to do that they cannot already accomplish and, and see if there's some space in there that we can 
add a feature, add a new product, modify something or other in order to allow them to do that. It's just having a lot of conversations with people and, and seeing where things begin. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, yeah, there. here's one example. Um, couples therapy. So couples therapy has existed for a long time. Couples are going to keep having problems. That's not going to go away anytime soon. And we had some clinicians who don't only see couples. They, 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 they uh, do sessions with individuals on their own, unrelated to kind of relationship dynamics. And they wanted to kind of extend this idea of measuring physiology, but to their couples who'd come into the office. So they want to measure like, you know, one or two people at the same time. We already know how to, you know, evaluate someone. We know how to do psychophysiological evaluations on the single individual, putting, you know, various senses on them, depending on what you want to look at. And so it was just like, okay, why don't we just do this twice? But that's not achievable because that's expensive and people don't want to do that. And couples therapists are used to doing talk therapy. So if they introduce any sort of um, objective data measuring device, it needs to be really, really simplified. Uh, and, and so what currently existed on the market is a no-go. And so from discussing several diff with several different couple therapists, because if I listen to one, it's often just kind of, hey, this is what I really like, but maybe I also don't know what I'm talking about. So when you speak to several individuals, you get kind of a grand idea of what might work. You can come up with an idea of, hey, does this make sense as an idea? Would this be helpful to people? And then the next question would be, could we profit from this? Because obviously, if we're never going to make our money back, we can't enter that field. And looking at certain tools one might have, you could say, hey, if we take this certain existing product or what we already know about that type of field, maybe we can kind of do a, a side design of something that already exists for those individuals that might be more appropriate. I'm choosing couples therapy because it's one that comes to mind. Right before the pandemic hit, I was working for a few couples therapists because we're trying to release like a targeted product for those individuals. And for those who know thought technology, it's a little TPS sensor that goes on someone's finger. Uh, people evaluate using that with one person, but one could now measure from two or three different individuals and they're trying to get an idea of how to get the data to, to, to be more appropriate for what a couple's therapist might want to look at. Once you get to this kind of talk of can we do it, might it be profitable, then it's actually having to experiment with and, and creating prototypes where, hey, we have this version here, you can test it, come back to us with your thoughts with what doesn't work, and then we'll do some reiterations of that. And so that's, that's how one goes about the design of a product in a very simplified sense. There's also lots of documents filling in, lots of regulatory stuff, which is oh so fascinating. <laughs> if one likes to throw themselves off bridges. Uh, <laughs> but that is part of the game as well. And sometimes things just don't work out. With the couples therapy example, for, uh, with the couples therapists we're using the product with, uh, the harbor wasn't quite working like we wanted to at the time. Uh, some of the therapists we're working with, they're like, this is really cool, but eh, I'm less interested than what I thought I might be. So kind of that lost some, some, some steam. And then the pandemic hit where no one's physically seeing anyone else. So it's like, okay, this is at a standstill for now. Um, but maybe we'll come back to this once there's more parties interested, once uh, we have more time, more resources, and things like that. So that's a, a very simplified way of kind of how does one consider making something new? Or how does it get ideas from that? Or how do you move forward trying to develop that? Well, it would seem like couples would be a great approach. I mean, the the work of the Gottmans, the Gottman Institute, where they're measuring physiology of couples. And it's, it's uh, predictive of whether the couples will even stay together. And I, I can't remember offhand. I think that they looked at heart rate, although maybe not heart rate variability, uh, but your TPS device that you mentioned, the little um, uh, 
finger device. What does that, that measures heart rate, uh, temperature, and skin conductance, is that right? Yeah, so since that little wireless finger sensor conveniently gets put on someone's finger and you can measure multiple people, the idea is that, okay, as you're doing your talk therapy with these this couple or sometimes you know a whole family dynamic, you can be measuring their heart rates just like the Gottmans originally did, but you can also have some other measures of skin conductance to so really see how into the conversation or if they start shutting down and just kind of dissociating out of it. Uh, they might be. And then at certain steps of the actual discussion or your normal uh, therapy approach, you might kind of make a pause and say, hey guys, I just want to point out to you that, you know, we're getting really heated here. Your heart rates are going really high. So you're kind of going to start stonewalling each other. Or I really see you're just kind of cluing out from this. I can show you that you're doing this and not just kind of a, a verbal tactic where individuals might get annoyed. No, that's not true. I'm not feeling like that. It's like, mm, the data suggests you might. And so it, it is very useful. Um, a lot of the research that actually went to this particular topic when I was doing it was going into the Gottmans, the original stuff that they published. And then there's um, ETF, no, Emotionally Focused Therapy, EFT, uh, that does a lot of kind of look at the physiology as well. And uh, that was also what a lot of the, the clinicians who were testing these prototypes already knew as their base. And so they weren't going in blind and they're already basing on that other data that existed. Um, and so it, I think there's definite room for... Uh, that type of product, that type of solution. But I've also realized that the big <laughs> stopping point for that is that um, top talk therapists and couples therapists are used to just doing talk and sort of adding in technology seems really new and uh, unusual for them. And so until kind of they get more exposed to that or there's a, a big name clinician who really wants to show how they use this effectively, it's still going to be kind of a slow moving thing. Well, if there are any couples therapists listening to this, should they get in touch with you or should they wait to hear? I, I would them? love that because okay. I have things I want to show you and I want your opinions on them. <laughs> okay. um, and, and I have to say, I mean, I have a TPS. I, I, I'm not using it with clients. I've been sort of playing around with it. it. It's a really nice device. And I think one of the advantages of having something like that is you forget it's on your finger. And one of the issues I can imagine with the the more typical equipment, even even the the uh, infinity uh, amplifier or some of the other, is you you can't quite forget that it's there, and so that may take away a little bit from interactions with your partner. So I can imagine the TPS would be a great device. Absolutely, because you know it's it's small and wireless. It's what people want when they think of current technology. It's like you know in Oculus, it doesn't get in the way. And it measures really good data. <laughs> it's like high quality data coming from your finger. Um, of course, like you said, our infinity are, are, are higher scale systems where you can measure many different physiological systems simultaneously. That still is wires and it's, it is bulky. And you definitely do not forget it's in the room because you're kind of tethered to a chair. That still has its place because you can't get that much data all at the same time. But, you know, modernity is moving forward and so are designs. So I do actually hope soon that the infinity, that bulky wire unit that makes you think of spaghetti um, will be going away with, with our new line of uh, wireless sensors. We're still working uh, on them, still regulatory okay. checks and things going through, but I'm very, yeah. very excited to finally have that out there instead of having uh, the bulkier stuff. So I, I, I won't ask you for a timeline. Oh, no, no, we, no, we unfortunately that. do not provide those. <laughs> no, no, of course not. So, so again, you've been working with in this field for a while with all technology and with the BFE before that. And 
you know, anybody who uses particularly thought technology equipment has probably interacted with you at some point, either directly at a conference or uh, in, in your webinars. And, and by the way, if you haven't, you really should. Um, I've been to a number of your webinars and really always get something out of it. That is very kind. I'm incredibly okay. Thank you. <laughs> We're talking with John Bale, product manager for Thought Technology. Thought Technology is a sponsor of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society, which produces this podcast. John's been talking about some of Thought Tech's newer products. I couldn't lock him down on a release date for their upcoming wireless sensors. But as our conversation continued, I was able to find out more about their new approach for working with groups of clients. John also turned the tables on me a bit, asking what it's like on my side of the couch working with clients. So we were talking about couples work. Uh, I'm also curious about larger groups. I know that uh, Eric Pepper, for example, used your uh, portable um, galvanic skin response device and, and wrote at least one article on using it in groups. Is there, is there any work that you're doing focused on, on group treatment or training? Yeah. So just like uh, how I mentioned couples therapy a little bit earlier, we actually did release a general group product, like our, our synergy solution, as we call it. And so um, that little wireless finger TPS sensor, we can now use it with up to four people uh, where you can gather data from all those four individuals simultaneously and it sends it back to that one computer. So you can measure, be measuring what's going on in each of them separately. And um, it's right now, you know, capped at four people. We might go higher, which is we have to see how the interest goes. It also depends on how, how, how a computer can actually maintain so many Bluetooth connections uh, in a stable manner simultaneously. But that is something that we recently released um, to the field. In general, sports psychologists love this because they work with teams of athletes. They want to be able to uh, do, let's say, HRV training with four of them at the same time instead of just one at a time. That totally makes sense. But we're trying to get uh, non-sports psychs into it too. Like the idea is that, let's say, you're a clinician who want to show your young client how to do good breathing or wanted to uh, challenge them to a, a game. Again, more air quotes because I love saying air quotes or you can both do the low and slow breathing and you can compete to see who's doing it better in a screen um, for feedback and points. Um, that's definitely one aspect. And then there is a lot of researchers want to do this group dynamic of how are people interacting, what is occurring in terms of their physiology as they do some other type of task. And so this is the, the product for those individuals who are looking for something like that. We want to measure from more than one person at a time and we also gamified it because, hey, the second you have people competing, being able to look at each other's data, you want to know if I'm better than them. And so <laughs> the software has like little awards it hands out in the report saying, oh, you're the best at this, you're the best at that. And so it, it adds that kind of fun competitive dynamic if people get motivated from that. Yeah, and I, I, I've run and helped design some uh, pain management, chronic pain management groups where we used portable devices, they weren't connected to the computer that didn't exist back back when I was doing this. And it was really helpful. I, I suppose part of it is that competitive nature, but I just think doing things in a group can really uh, improve uh, skill building. And, and if, if we think about resonance, you've got a bunch of you know resonating systems in the same room, they, they may cohere even more strongly. I know with the, um, the NFL groups we're using it with, the athletes are really into it, again, because of the competitive nature, but it's because they're all doing the training together and they understand the benefits of, in this example, the HRV therapy 
for, for their well-being. And so they get into it as a group. They all want to do it. And they're very interested. And just the fact that they're not alone is a big key thing, like you said. The fact that they're doing it together encourages them and has them keep going forward. So that's the big important part. And um, I hope it gets extended to other groups who are not particularly just athletes. <laughs> Well, it, it, you know, we, we rely on equipment manufacturers like Thought Technology for so much of what we do as biofeedback and neurofeedback clinicians. What do you need from us? What do you, what do you want to hear from us when we see you in conferences or any sort of feedback? What, what is helpful for you from us clinicians? Mm. Uh, honestly, like it goes back to the whole product management thing. I want to hear your opinions. I want to hear what you really like and what you do a lot of because that lets us know what are the most important features of our system as exists or or uh, what you want wish you could be doing because you'd want to do that a lot and so it gives us an idea of how we can evolve what currently exists um honestly the most valuable thing to us are just conversations because that lets us know where the field is going and and we obviously still want to remain in the field in 5 10 20 years and so we have to keep moving that same direction there's something to be said that like one could be for example reading new publications and research that about, oh, this new uh, application uh, for this type of disorder. Ooh, that's really cool. But there's always a difference between what the research says and what people are actually doing in practice and reality. And so we can follow research quite well, but that is usually not an effective tool for this industry. You need to know more how what people actually want to do and what they're willing to follow. Uh, an easy example is uh, when you think of HRV, resonant frequency is something that most people are familiar with breathing at a certain rate to maximize HRV. What the research says and what clinicians actually want to do is not exactly the same thing. And so if we design our software to let you do what research says, we're mostly going to have a lot of clinicians come back to saying, oh, this is disappointing. I want to be able to do this other sort of things. Like, okay, okay, we're going to switch this because the field or reality goes in a slightly different path from research. Yeah, sometimes I think uh, the clinicians or us clinicians, I should include myself with that, are, <laughs> are in front of the research and sometimes I feel like we're behind the research. So I guess it's this ongoing relationship uh, between you, the two. It's a funny thing because it also, you say it as kind of a joke, but uh, since we exist around the world, we know of many different clinician groups and some are actually very ahead of the game in certain aspects, while others, you know, they've been less exposed to this field or there's less money, so they're a little bit behind. And so us hearing all of their different opinions is also fascinating because you're right, some of them are very kind of proactive or let's try to do the newest, greatest thing, even if it might not work. And then others really just want to say, hey, I want to do what I already know 100% will work. I don't want to experiment. I don't want to do anything uh, shocking or amazing. I just want to do something efficient. And, and that's both of those uh, perspectives and opinions are very valid. So you've, you've obviously like you're saying, talk with clinicians all over the world, probably been all over the world. And I'd be curious about some of the surprising uses for your equipment that you've come across. Mm. <laughs> uh, so just to here, just to be clear on this, as I give this answer, there's what we make our equipment for, and then how people sometimes end up using it. And that is, it's always like, it's interesting to us, it's surprising to us, we don't expect it. But if they're getting the results they're hoping for, then we're very happy to allow for that, even if it was an unintended consequence. Here, here's an easy example because it happened like three weeks ago, not for the first time. And so maybe I'm less surprised at this point. Um, we make 
a line of products for physiotherapy and muscle rehab. And then, you know, for neurofeedback professionals and, and biofeedback HV professionals, it's always surprising to know that we do muscle type stuff. It's for physiotherapists, it's for pelvic floor retraining. These two groups rarely ever talk to each other because why would they? And so I was again confronted with someone buying one of our high-end muscle rehab products that also do stimulation because they're using it for their own, um, I'm going to do air quotes that no one can see, for their own uh, sexual rehab because it helps them feel better. Uh, and so that is both surprising but not surprising enough because it's not the first time I've heard this. And so it's someone who, they're a clinician, so that's why they can legally buy our product because average people cannot. They're buying this for their different purposes, which are good for them. I'm really happy that they're getting a lot of satisfaction out of this, but it's just nothing we intended. Um, and, and so that's great. Another way here, a better example <laughs> would be uh, our Chinese market, which is huge just purely because there's numbers out there. They do a lot of work uh, on children with uh, mobility issues that the other countries don't attempt at all. Uh, but, you know, their fields are interested in that. They want to provide that sort of uh, therapy, even if there's a success rate of maybe 10 or 20 percent. But that to them in their hospitals is considered really important and good and worth it. And so they do that. We don't advertise that because we don't consider it as being um, something that has a high enough success rate. But that's just uh, the Chinese market acting as, as they do. And we're happy to support them in that way. People are certainly uh, endlessly creative in in shaping uh, tools for their own for their for their needs. I've I've found actually probably the more interesting conversations I have is when I meet clinicians who are definitely not shy about experimenting with things, and so they don't fear technology, they don't fear computers. There's no oh, but I might break it attitude. They're like, hey, let's just see what happens, because you know it'll be fine. And <laughs> it'll be fine. Sounds like it might be a cavalier attitude, but no, like you're not going to hurt someone by trying something for five minutes. And so they're willing to experiment. And I find they are the ones who are pushing my knowledge boundaries of, of what I thought one could do or the unintended positive consequences of, oh, I didn't design it for that, but I'm great at working that way. And have you ever come across a, a use that just felt really meaningful to you personally or some way that the, the equipment's been used that you might not have expected, but was was a really powerful use. Mm. I mean, we have a lot of those stories where, you know, someone with their son or daughter has this particular issue. They weren't getting any any suitable answers or therapies from the kind of traditional means. And so then they went down the rabbit hole of what's considered experimental air quotes again. Uh, and they eventually got themselves a kind of neurofeedback where they decided, hey, I've tried everything else. Why not this now? And then they see radical changes in the individual's behavior and and and, and their quality of life. And uh, I mean, like one with the Thompson's easily stands out, an individual who uh, apparently, well, I mean, seemed to severely uh, on the autism spectrum, like inability to, to talk uh, in any way that was coherent. And then... A year later, you would not recognize this individual as that at all. You'd see them as an average functioning person. And that's like, again, this is, this is, this is a very kind of niche, 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 niche uh, possibility. But don't ever expect that for anyone on the autism spectrum with neurofeedback. But they had such a radical success. It was just kind of shocking that it's all possible. Then there's, you know, clinicians who have showed up at our front door. I mean, one does not walk into thought technology and surprise us. We don't expect someone to kind of come to our offices where the engineering or the factory is. 
and just say, hey, I would like to try this out right now. But some people do do that. And, um, you know, we're always surprised. And they're there because it's coming from a very much an emotional heartfelt. Like, I, I'm trying to look for answers for this problem. Rarely for themselves, usually for someone else. Mm-hmm. And they come to us and maybe we can help them, maybe we can't. But these are the people who are really willing to go. And some of them had had some great successes uh, with our therapies, with our tools. And so that personalized touch when you meet the individual, that's stuff that stands out. I realize I'm being very vague right now because I don't want to talk too much details about their individual lives. Right. I kind of, course, of like feel like it would be a, an intrusion to... to um, to the privacy and the discussions we had with them. But those are the moments I find really beautiful. For you, like for you as well as the listeners, you clinicians, you probably have these all the time, not necessarily with our technology, but like, you know, with your method of however you treat the individuals who come see you. And so we, we don't get that as often, but when we do have a more direct contact with that, it is really kind of uh, motivating and exciting and a beautiful thing. Well, I think it's important for us to remember it's not equipment. It mm. is part of our work as clinicians and interventions to improve people's lives. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy to get, it is easy and fun to get kind of caught up in the technology piece of it, but mm. it's, it's important, I think, for us always to remember what that, what the purpose of it is. Actually, to be fair, this is more a question back to you. So uh, I've had clinicians tell me that, oh, John, you should really should kind of go into the therapy side. Like if, if, mm-hmm. if one could get that accreditation and things like that, um, I looked into it. I probably could rather easily, maybe a year or two. But my fear was always that I wouldn't have the, the I guess, the mental stamina to really want to continue through providing therapy to individuals. Like I, I exist in a role where I, I often meet uh, clinicians who provide the therapy or and sometimes I meet those end users, but I'm not there every single week for months. And, and so I would fear unlike you and like others, not being able to kind of do that whole months and months of work, seeing it from beginning to end, see the complete process. So to me, that's that's how do you continue with that uh, fortitude, have that mental stamina to kind of stick with that? Because to me, that's that's like that's a nerve wracking part from my perspective, having to be there every single week and, 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 and sticking to it. Well, I mean, I think that that's a fair question. And it's a it's a good concern to have before going into this sort of work and most of us don't have it exactly because we don't have the experience until we're until it's too late so to speak (laughs) and i think it it's like any any other uh, profession any other job that demands uh consistent effort we try to figure out how to make it work without going you know without burning out and we, we find different ways to do that i think for for me Actually, doing the biofeedback and neurofeedback is a big, a big piece of that. My interests have always been in integrating physiology, so-called my air quotes, physiology with so-called psychology, and a technology that allows us to show those physiologic systems in real time adds another dimension to the work that I do, and so that's that in itself is helpful to me. But we all find our we all find our ways to to survive and not burn out, uh, hopefully. And <laughs> if not, then you know we have to figure out what to do about it. But it is it, it is a hard part of this work is to to be that consistent presence. But if you if you're interested in jo- in joining <laughs> our club, uh, 
most of us will try to talk you out of it uh, because it's mm-hmm. it's difficult work and um, talking about putting you know food on the table for your family. But um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a it's a important it's important work. It's it's a bit of a calling, I suppose. Mm. It's still something to consider. Maybe I'll fall into that. <laughs> yeah, just like well, talk to me. So you, you can talk to me then when you're ready. I'm happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> I, I like to end the these discussions with a couple of one thing questions, if that's okay. One thing questions, sure. One thing questions, yeah. So, so what is what is one thing you would like our listeners to take away from this discussion? Oh, <laughs> that is a tough question. Um, hmm, hmm. I would say, yeah, let's go back to one of the initial points. If you want to see a new thing for you to use your clients or to give you a new success, you have to tell someone about it. And so the idea that like, eh, it's not worth sharing my opinion, eh, it's not worth discussing this, leads to nothing. Whereas if you decide, yeah, I think it is worth them hearing what I wish I could do, then that's the only way or it might actually get done. So whether it's, you know, specifically with us or anyone else, if you wish that you could measure a certain thing, if you could do a certain thing with something you already own, um, just mention it to people who make it like, hey, why doesn't it do that? Or maybe we should try to do this because that is the important thing in letting me or letting some sort of biofeedback manufacturer know, hey, maybe I should consider doing that. Maybe we should check to see if it's not already possible. Maybe this is something we should uh, pursue, uh, in which case, you know, down the road that might lead to you actually getting the thing you wanted just because you were brave enough or dare enough to share your thought on that. We may have to extend this conversation for an hour or so. Uh, but what, what, is, uh, what is one thought technology device that you can't live without? Oh, my God, you're talking to a computer nerd, so I'm thinking about software suddenly. But let's, let's think of hardware, honestly. Uh, it's, it sounds so cheap to say, but it's like the TPS finger sensor we been mentioning it. Just because it's easy, it's in the little pockets, I don't feel like I'm going to break it. It's not bulky, like... That's the one thing I can pull out if I want to do some slow, relaxed breathing because I'm really annoyed at someone. Um, that's the thing I really like. But if I'm going to add two things, it'd be the computer software because I'm used to changing computer software and making it look all nice in different ways that people like. And people get the most kind of excited and shocked face of, oh, I can't believe we could do that. I'm so glad we had you here. I would never figure it out. And it's the least effort on my part. So it makes me th- see, you know, sound like I'm brilliant when in fact... I am just someone who's had more time trying it than than they are. <laughs> I think I think one secret to success is looking brilliant, letting other people think you are. You probably are as well, but you know at least other people should think you are. I did, you never correct someone when they give you a compliment. Just say, "Oh, thank you." I'm not going to tell you if that's true or not. <laughs> well, well, John, thank you so much for joining us here. It was really great to talk with you. No, no, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, if you have any other questions for me now or later, please feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to go over those. I'm happy to have more conversations. Well, we will put your uh, contact information into the show notes uh, mm-hmm. as well as a link to the TPS. We've mentioned that a few times and mm-hmm. to thought technology in general. So again, thank you so much. Cool. Thank you very much. Happy to be here and have a wonderful day, everyone. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. Our guest today was John Bale, product manager for Thought Technology, designer and equipment manufacturer. 
You can find out more about John, including his contact information, in the show notes. Be sure to join NRBS for a free webinar on January 25th, Surface Electromyography for Neuromotor Dysfunction, presented by another Thought Technology product manager, Jiva Antopolsky. There's a link in the show notes to register, or if it's after the 25th, to find a recording of the webinar. You can subscribe to this podcast following the subscribe here link or wherever you get your podcasts. We really do want to hear from you, so be part of the ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, with your ideas and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really does help podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Happy Body.